following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Morning, friends. As Jeremiah said, my name is Sissy. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning, so glad that I get to worship with you this morning. A special welcome to those of you joining us online. We're delighted to have you with us. Now, if you've been following, if you got our e-letter last week, if you've been following along on our social media posts, you were probably expecting to see Barry up here and for us to kick off, or for him to kick off, our new series that we're calling Deeper Still. Unfortunately, Barry's feeling a little under the weather. He's okay, but we thought it would be good for him to just rest today. And so our plan is for Barry to uh, come here next week, uh, next Sunday, and we'll kick off our Deeper Still series then. And I'm really excited about this series. We're gonna be talking more about going deeper in our emotional and spiritual health. And I think it's gonna be really good for us. But before we go there, I thought it would be good for us to look back on what we talked about last year. And if you remember, last year we focused on this idea of going deeper. Going deeper in our discipleship to Jesus by going deeper in the scriptures. And we began last year with a series that we called the story of God. And we called it that because the Bible is first and foremost a story about God. It's a story about us and God, but first and foremost, it's a story about God. It's a story that makes God known. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at Psalm 139. And if you have your Bibles, go there. That's where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, I just encourage you to download our mobile app and you can access the Bible there. But we're going to look this morning at Psalm 139 so that we can reorient our hearts and our minds back to this God who we see reveals himself in these scriptures. But before we get to Psalm 139, let me begin with this. A few years ago, I attended the high school musical uh, that my little cousin Sarah was performing in. Sarah was a high school senior at this time and she had the leading role in this musical. And so I got to the venue and I, I sat with a group of the parents whose kids were in this musical. And one particular parent, one particular mother, just fascinated me because she just kept talking about her son. We're gonna call her Ellen for the sake of the story and her son, his name was Steve, not his real name. But she just kept talking incessantly about her son, about how excited she was to see him in this musical, about how he'd really gotten into character for this role about how he'd caught the acting bug, that he was even considering um, becoming an actor professionally when he went to college. And then she talked about the fact that this role was a breakthrough opportunity for him, a breakthrough role to really showcase his acting gifts and abilities and skills. So after hearing everything that Ellen said about Steve, I thought, Steve's a pretty big deal. Like, he must be really good. He must be a a tremendous actor. He must have a fairly large role in this musical. And so I was excited. Well, the musical began, the entire first act passed by. Sarah did a fabulous job. But I could tell that Steve never made an appearance onto the stage, just from Ellen's reaction, actually lack of reaction. 
And I was like, what's going on? We got to the intermission, and again, Ellen is just going on and on about Steve, just raving and dripping with compliments for his acting gifts and abilities. And so now I'm in, like I've got to see Steve. So the curtains open and the scene is set like a restaurant scene. There's a dinner table and a young couple is seated at this table. And in a few moments after the curtains opened, a young man dressed as a waiter walks onto the stage. And right away, I know this is Steve because Ellen's face just lit up. She's at the edge of her seat. She's practically standing up. And now we're in, right? Go Steve, it's Steve time. And Steve walks onto the stage holding a pitcher of water. And he stops at the table and he pours one glass of water. And then he pours a second glass of water and he puts the pitcher down and then he walks off stage. He never said a single word. <laughs> we never even saw his face. All we really saw of him was his back and the entire scene lasted for maybe 45 seconds if, we, if he was lucky. I could not believe that Ellen thought so highly of her son's acting skills, but truly she did. She thought he was the star of the musical. Now, if you're a parent, you can probably relate to that because no matter what your kids do, you think they're amazing. I know this because my mother thinks I'm the greatest preacher that ever walked on the face of the earth. There's Billy Graham and then there's Sissy Matthew and no one is gonna convince her otherwise. Now you laugh, but this is true. <laughs> That's what's funnier. My mom is a lot like Ellen. Ellen really believed that this musical was all about her boy. He was the star of the show. And sometimes, I think we act a lot like Ellen when we come to the Bible. Actually, I think we're a little worse off than Ellen because she made everything about her boy. We make the Bible about us. We're the star of the show. It's about how much God loves us and what we ought to do. And God does love us and the Bible does tell us that. And the Bible does tell us how to live rightly. But first and foremost, the Bible is a story about God. It's a story about us and God. But first and foremost, it's a story about God. And to know ourselves right, we, 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 rightly, we must first know God rightly. It's not about you, it's not about me, it's about him. And too many times we miss that and we think it's about us. And every page of these sacred scriptures tells us something about God, his, his character, his attributes, his ways. Because until we understand and embrace God for all that he is, we can't grow into a deeper relationship with him. And that's why we focused all last year on going deeper in the scriptures so that we might go deeper in our discipleship to Jesus. This morning, I want us to look at Psalm 139 to show you that the Bible is a book about God. Now, if you spend any time in church, you're probably a little familiar with Psalm 139 because quite often it's been used and it's been made to be about us. Psalm 139 verse 14 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's been printed on coffee mugs and t-shirts and posters and it's supposed to make us feel good about ourselves. 
And it's true, God does love us. The Bible says that, and indeed, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but that's not the point of the psalm. This morning, I want us to look at Psalm 139 together to show you that it's all about God. And we're gonna walk through this psalm, and David gives us seven characteristics of God. And then he closes the psalm by just giving us his response. As he sees God rightly, here's how he shows us to respond to this God. This psalm gives us a glimpse of the greatness, the grandeur, and the glory of God. So let's take a look. Psalm 139, verse one. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Right right from the start, who does David address this psalm to? Who's he talking to? He's talking to God. Right from the start, this psalm, is about God. Verse two. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Look at the words that David uses repeatedly. He says, you know, you perceive, you discern, you are familiar. All of these words, these verses, point us to the omniscience, the all-knowingness of God. God is unlimited in his knowledge, and his knowledge is comprehensive, meaning he knows everything about everything, but it's also personal and active. He knows everything about the universe, but he also knows everything about you and everything about me. He knows when you sit and when you rise. He knows the intimate details of our lives, our words, our thoughts, our actions. It's as if he's combed through every detail of our lives and he knows it all. And he knows us so intimately, it's as if he surrounds us and yet he's gentle with us, laying his hand upon us. Now, I want us to pause for a moment to think about God's knowledge and your knowledge. God's knowledge, all the knowledge that exists in the universe from biomedical engineering to making paella, all the knowledge that exists in the world, in the universe, God's knowledge and your knowledge. Now imagine with me that we are standing at the edge of a pool. This is not a kiddie pool. This is a massive, expansive, great pool. It's an Olympic-sized pool. And I tell you that this pool represents God's knowledge. This pool represents all the knowledge that exists in the universe. And then I say to you, now take out the amount of water that represents your knowledge. What would that look like? Would you get a big old bucket to get the water and say, this is my knowledge? It's probably too much. Would you get like a milk jug, maybe a gallon represents your knowledge? Still too much. Maybe a water bottle, 16 ounces, 20 ounces. Still too much. Maybe, maybe if I gave you a medicine dropper, you know one of those eyedroppers that you give kids liquid medicine in? Maybe if I gave you one of those and, and you, you went in and you took the tiniest drop, maybe, just maybe, that might represent your knowledge. And we know some things, don't we? I know some things. I know some things about accounting and finance. I know some things about the Bible. But if I am to compare my knowledge to God's knowledge, I don't stand a chance. It's not even a drop. So when things in our lives, when things are happening that just don't make sense, 
We must trust the omniscience of God because we know that we don't know everything, but God does. And David begins this psalm by pointing us to our all-knowing God. Verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God cannot be fully understood by us. God is unlimited, we are limited. Now God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures, but he still can't be fully understood by our human minds. And David acknowledges this. This word that he uses, wonderful, often gets lost on us because we don't use it the same way David's using this in, in the psalm. We say that taco is wonderful or the cowboys are wonderful, still questionable, but <laughs> that's not what David is saying here. The word wonderful here means astonishing. It means incomprehensible. God is beyond our understanding. Here's the second characteristic. God is incomprehensible. God is omniscient and God is incomprehensible. Verse seven, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Here's the third characteristic. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere and he is fully present everywhere. Look what he says. Verse eight, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. He's as high as the heavens and he is as low as the depths of the earth. And then verse nine, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, the wings of the dawn is a reference to the sun rising. And where does the sun rise? The sun rises in the east. And David lived in Israel. And so when he talks about the sea, he's talking about the Mediterranean Sea, which is on the western coast of Israel. And David is using this beautiful poetry and imagery to tell us that God is everywhere from the highest of the heavens to the lowest depths of the earth. He's as far as the east is from the west. Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Darkness hides nothing from God because he's all knowing and he's all present. Darkness is like light to him. He is high and he is low. He is far and he is wide. So in the darkest moments of our lives, we must trust that God is with us. But often, it can feel like he's far away. It can feel like he, he doesn't see us or maybe that he's even forgotten us. And in those moments, what we have to do is we have to trust what the Bible tells us about our God. And we have to cling to it even when it feels like he's far from us. Because he's not. He is everywhere. He's with you even when you feel like he's not. And he's fully present in every place at all times. And you and I can't do that. I'm originally from New Jersey, my family is still there, and there are often times that I want to be here in Dallas, but I also want to be in New Jersey. But I can't. The best I can do is I can FaceTime them, or I can jump on a plane and hope to get there in a few hours. I am limited, but God is not. God is fully present in all places at all times. God is omniscient, God is incomprehensible, and God is omnipotent. 
He's uh, omnipresent, sorry. God is omniscient, God is incomprehensible, and he's omnipresent. Verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Fourth characteristic, God is a creative God. He is the creative creator. He formed your inward parts. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And then in verse 14, David says this, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And the mistake we make with the Bible, and in particular with this psalm, is that we have made it to be about us. Think about when you go to a museum and you see a beautiful work of art. As you admire that painting, what's one of the first things you do? You take a few steps closer, don't you? Because you want to know who made this, who created this. Was it Van Gogh or was it Matisse? And as you admire this beautiful work of art, you immediately think of the creator. While the painting is stunning, what's more impressive is the gifted artist who created it. Yes, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's true. But this psalm points us to our maker who is even more fearful and more wonderful than we can imagine. David says, your works are wonderful. And this is a reference to his omnipotence. God is all powerful. He can do anything. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Sixth characteristic, God is sovereign. We've just entered into a new year, and a new year brings with it a lot of hopes and dreams, but it can sometimes bring with it a lot of fears and anxieties. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering what the future holds. Maybe you're in a new season and you're not really sure of what's next. Perhaps you thought you'd be in a different place in life by now. Maybe you're not at the job that you want or you're not at the point in your career that you thought you would be. Maybe you're single and you thought you would be married. Maybe you're married and you thought your marriage would look different or your family would look different. And, and we try to plan our lives, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with planning as long as we place those plans in God's hand. I'm a planner, I love to plan, but one of the reasons I plan is because I struggle with the need for control. And so planning makes, it gives me a sense of control. But if I'm honest with you, I would tell you that my life has not worked out in any way the way that I have planned. If you asked me 10 years ago if I would be living in Dallas, working in vocational ministry, serving as one of your pastors, preaching to you, I would tell you, you are out of your mind. That's never going to happen. But God had different plans for me. And can I tell you, they have been so far better, so far greater than anything I could have ever imagined or dreamed of. Anything I could have ever planned. God is outdone. This is why I believe in a sovereign God, a God who's in control. Because if we're honest, I think many of you are probably a lot like me and we try to control our lives. Maybe we even try to control people in our lives. And if we're honest, 
We know that doesn't really work out, does it? There's very little that we're actually in control of. But here's the comfort and confidence we have. God is in control and he has a plan for your life and it's a good plan. He knows every single one of your days and we can trust in a sovereign God because not only does does his sovereignty mean that he's in control, but his sovereignty means he makes the right decisions for you because God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. He is sovereign and he will do good to us. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You and I are finite. Our days are numbered. There, there's gonna be a, there was a day when we were born and there's going to be a day when we will die. We can't be in two places at once. We're not omnipresent like God. We don't know everything. God knows all of it. God is infinite. It's a seventh characteristic. God is infinite. He is vast. He cannot be contained. You've probably heard, like me, people say, you can't put God in in a box. And I just always laugh at that phrase because of course you can't put God in a box. He's uncontainable. He's infinite. He cannot be contained. God is omniscient. He's incomprehensible. He's omnipresent. He's the creative creator. He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. And he's infinite. Now, the rest of the psalm shifts. And it points us to David's response in seeing the wonder and beauty of God. Verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Sounds like David is having a bad day. (laughs) What's happening here? What's happening here is David is expressing passion for God. David's enemies hate the things of God. They speak against God with evil intent. They misuse his name. They take his name in vain. And David takes a stand against these enemies of God and the injustice that they are committing. He's just described for us this God in the previous verses. He's omniscient. He's incomprehensible. He's omnipresent. He's the creative creator. He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. He's infinite. And you and I need to respond like David when we come to see who God is. We need to be passionate about obeying and following God. We need to do battle against our sin. And I know that's not a popular idea, but I read it in these scriptures. And that's what we're called to do. Paul says to us repeatedly throughout his letters, we need to put our sin to death. And as we see our God for all that he is, it must drive us to hate our sin and to strive to put it to death. When confronted with the greatness of God, we must respond. We must change. We can't just say, well, I'm not that bad. Have you seen so-and-so? See, if we're thinking like that, we have not seen God rightly because he cannot look at sin. He hates it. And so should we. The only right response when we see God for all that he is, is immediate confession and repentance. The first response to seeing this God is that we passionately follow after God by putting our sin to death. Let's look at David's second response, verse 23. 
Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because we recognize and know who our God is, because we have an understanding of his character, we surrender. We come before God in complete and total honesty because we know that nothing can be hidden from him. So we don't try to hide our stuff, our junk. We don't come to him with pretense. We come and we surrender. Look back at verse one. David says, you have searched me, Lord. He uses the past tense. But then in verse 23, he says, do it again, God. Search me, know me. See if there's anything that's offensive to you and then help me kill it so that I might live rightly before you. Before, he talked about injustice that was happening outside, externally to him and in the enemies of God. But now he's saying, God, there is injustice in my own heart. Would you help me see it? And then would you help me kill it? Do you see what's happened in this psalm? The first 18 verses are all about who God is, his greatness and his wonder, his glory and his grandeur. He's omniscient, he's incomprehensible, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's the creative creator, he's sovereign and and infinite. We see our king high and lifted up and then we respond. And we can only see ourselves rightly when we see God rightly. And as a result, we come to God in awe and, and reverence where we, like Isaiah, after seeing this vision of God high and lifted up, seated on his throne, surrounded by the seraphim, each calling one to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory and the very foundations of the temple shake and it's filled with smoke. And Isaiah's only response is awe and reverence. Woe is me, he says. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And this God reaches out to us in love, and he gives us his son, Jesus, to reconcile us to himself. We rebelled against this holy, perfect, powerful, and just God who is our creator, and someone had to pay the penalty. And God, in his infinite mercy and love, made a way for us by sending us his son. And he pours out on Jesus Christ all of his wrath for our sin. Jesus paid the penalty that we owed for the rebellious life that we chose to live. And so now as we see who this God is, it leads us to stand. No, it leads us to fall on our knees in awe and reverence. And it brings us joy and it brings us peace. God calls us his sons and his daughters. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are accepted. We are free. We are the beloved children of God. Do you see your God? This God is all that David describes and more. He is also infinitely loving. And because of that, we respond with joyful gratitude and obedience. Friends, this is our God. The Bible is not a book about us. If life was a movie, you and I would not be the stars of the show. God is the star of the show. And this book, this book is all about him. But for the longest time, I thought that this book was about me. Sure, it said some things about God, but wasn't it really about me? About who I am and what I needed to do? Wasn't it just a bunch of rules that I could never live up to? And because I read it with that lens, it never meant much to me. Because I was reading it all wrong. 
But when I read it and I began to ask a different question, when I asked, who is God? Things changed. As I read this book to see who God is, as he revealed himself to me through the pages of scripture, I found him to be beautiful. And I just had this overwhelming sense that what the scriptures tell us about God is true. And as I saw this picture of God, I came to see who I was. And it wasn't until I understood that this is a book about God that I could actually see myself rightly. A few years ago, I took a trip to the Grand Canyon. I think I've told you about that before. But I remember getting to the Grand Canyon and I went with this tour group. And so we got out of the van and I went to the very edge of the canyon. And I wasn't excited about going to the Grand Canyon. I went because people say you have to go. Because to me, the Grand Canyon is a really big hole in the ground. And we have that in New Jersey. We call those potholes. The Grand Canyon was just a giant pothole. But I went. So as soon as we stopped at our first stop, I, I ran out of the van. I got to the very edge of the Grand Canyon. And as I looked out at the beauty that was before me, I was filled with awe and wonder. And the words that came to my mind were the words of the psalmist in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And I thought to myself, you have to be a fool or you have to be completely blind to not see the greatness of God in creation. And we went on this tour. And so there were a bunch of people with us and there were these two young women. And I don't know if they were best friends or sisters. They looked like twins, but they were beautiful. They looked like they should be on the cover of a magazine. And we went, what we did on this tour is we, we stopped at like six or seven different spots along the Grand Canyon. And we would get out and we'd have an opportunity to sort of get a different view of the Grand Canyon. But these two young women did the same thing at every single one of those stops. We'd get to the st spot, we'd all get out of the van, they'd run out, they'd grab their iPhone and they would take selfies of each other. And then they would spend their time scrolling through those pictures. Here they were, surrounded by the beauty of creation in one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth, and all they could do was look at themselves. They were consumed with themselves. And I think sometimes that's what happens to us when we come to the scriptures. We come to the scriptures and we think it's about us, about who we are and what we ought to do. And, and certainly the Bible does tell us about who we are and what, how we ought to live. But before we come to the scriptures for direction or instruction or anything else, we must come to see God, to know who he is. Because you know what this is about? This is about a God who wants to have a relationship with you. And you can't have a relationship with someone unless you actually know them. And so we must come to these scriptures to know who God is, to understand the greatness of our creator and king. After all, who cares what this book says if you don't know the God who says it? He's omniscient, he's incomprehensible, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's the creative creator, he's sovereign and infinite, and he is also holy and loving. And what I want to encourage and challenge you to do is to come to these sacred scriptures to see your king high and lift it up. A.W. Tozer said, 
What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Are your thoughts shaped by the truth of these scriptures? And the thing is, we can't do this alone. We must do this in community. If we really want to understand the fullness of God, we need each other. So here's the invitation. Here's maybe a next step for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you've got questions about who God is or you've got doubts about the Bible or about who Jesus is. I wanna invite you to come join us to be part of Alpha. Alpha is a safe place where you can ask questions and you can express doubts and you can connect with others while doing that. Alpha kicks off on Wednesday, February 1st. For others of you, Perhaps this year, you want to begin this new year by studying God's word in community, by joining one of our mid-sized community groups. Young Adults kicks off this Thursday night. A women's Bible study begins next Tuesday, January 17th. Our men's first watch group meets every Friday morning. And every Sunday morning, all over this building, there are Bible communities who gather together to study God's word. I want to encourage you to continue to go deeper in the scriptures so that you can go deeper in your discipleship to Jesus. Because as we look to this next year, we're going to be talking a lot about going deeper still, deeper in our emotional and spiritual health so that we might make a greater missional impact on our world. But at the foundation of our discipleship is a relationship with God. Only as you see God rightly will you see yourself rightly. And like David, only once, only once we see God rightly can we respond rightly. Once David sees who God is, he responds with a desire to passionately follow after God. He gives himself to God. In the pages of this book, God reveals himself to us. Don't miss that. He shows us his character and his beauty. Come to this book and open it up. And before you ask, who am I? Ask, who are you, God? Show me who you are. May our prayer be like King David's prayer. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of him in his temple. May we gaze upon the beauty of our God. And as you see your king for all that he is, might you respond rightly in joyful obedience and gratitude. Come to these scriptures and behold your God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through the pages of these sacred scriptures. Help us to know you because it's only in seeing you rightly that we can then see ourselves rightly. And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you as their loving father, who has never had that moment in their lives where they have put their trust in Jesus as their savior, might this be that moment for them. And now as we come to partake of communion together, we're so thankful that you revealed yourself to us through the gift of your son, Jesus. We love you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.